Final countdown. We get into the point of Christmas. I'm really excited. I know our little ones are especially excited because uh, Santa is passing on Tuesday night, right? Um, we're going to be getting the gifts and the toys and all the excitement around Christmas. Uh, parents, good luck. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a good, it's a good couple of days. I, I don't know if you realize, um, our, our, the next few days in our culture are going to be completely inundated with just the symbols of Christmas, right? The worldly symbols of Christmas. Um, if, you, if you're wondering what it's going to look like, uh, the first thing is that all those uh, Hallmark movies, right, they're going to start making their way to network television. They're going to make their way over, and you're going to start seeing just a bunch of just Christmas movies back to back to back to back. If you're not already seeing that, over and over. The Christmas story, the BB gun, the tongue stuck to the frost, you know, over and over and over throughout the next few days. You're going to start seeing all of those things. Every Hallmark movie is the same thing. Um, just letting you know, the guy and the girl that are supposed to end up together will. Um, Santa's going to pass, the gift is going to happen, and everybody's going to live happily ever after. All the Hallmark movies are the same thing, so I'm sorry if I just spoiled them for you, because you were really diving into them this year, but I'm just letting you know they're all the same thing, right? Um, but Hallmark movies happen. In a couple of days, you're going to start seeing more and more Facebook posts of family get-togethers if you're not already. If you're not somebody that watches TV and you just happen to watch a smaller screen, um, you're going to start seeing people posting pictures of... So-and-so family Christmas, blank-blank family Christmas, right? All these different family Christmases, and everybody stands in front of the tree, and everybody looks happy, and everything's perfect, right? Yeah, everything's perfect in the picture, right? We all know it ain't perfect outside, but, it, but look, it, it's, it's great. Christmas morning, just letting you know, if you, if you happen to be somebody that looks at social media or a smaller screen, um, the, new, the new fad, the last couple of years, and it's, it's going to continue, everybody's going to be dressed in the same pajamas. Yep. Everybody's going to be dressed in the same pajamas, and they're going to be drinking that coffee, hot chocolate, from the perfect big mug. Yep. Even though it's going to be 70 degrees outside, because it's Christmas in South Louisiana, right? We're going to have the perfect picture in front of the perfect tree with the perfect pajamas and the perfect mug. All these symbols, they, they show the perfect side of Christmas. Now, I don't know about you, that ain't my family. My family don't look like a Hallmark movie. We surely don't wear the same pajamas. Like it, it, for us, Christmas, actually, uh, the, the, the joke we usually have, it's not really Christmas until somebody yells or somebody tears up, and not because they got the perfect gift, right? We're a little bit dysfunctional. Uh, you may know that. <laughs> you know my family. You know that we're dysfunctional. But like it was so. It was one year. I remember. Um, it was about ten o'clock in the morning. Nobody had yelled yet. So I made a point to yell, walk out, slam the door. Then I came back in, and my mom and dad were like, "What was that about?" I said, "Well, now it's Christmas because somebody finally yelled." <laughs> I think the difference. There's a difference between the expectation of the perfect Christmas. And the reality of our time together as a family. I think, I, I think I, I, as I said, I, I, my family isn't perfect. I'd venture to say that all of us sitting in the, in the pews today, we look around, our, our families probably aren't a perfect situation. Today in our gospel, 
we hear about another not perfect situation for a family. The Holy Family. In the Jewish tradition, when somebody gets married, there are two things. When, back, in, uh, back in the days of the Bible, like when someone was married, there were two, two moments that were very, very key for the marriage. The first was the betrothal. That was whenever there was a legal bond between these two people that this marriage was going to happen. The second part was bringing the person, the woman, coming in to, to live with the man. Right? So there were two moments that were very key for marriage. The betrothal and actually living together. The in-between, the man was supposed to, after they, the, she, the, the woman would be betrothed to him, he would then go prepare a house for her. He would prepare a place where they can live. He would build the house. He would make everything perfect so that whenever it was time, she could move right on in. Well, today in our gospel, we hear about Joseph during this time in between. And it's not, by worldly standards, doesn't look too perfect. Mary's betrothed to Joseph. It's greatness. It's a great moment. It's excitement within the family. Awesome. But in that intermediate time, she comes up pregnant. And there's a moment in there where we hear about in our scripture that Joseph is contemplating divorcing her quietly because he doesn't want to cause her shame. Now, whenever we, when we read the Bible, when we read scripture, there's a lot of times, there's a lot of different ways that we can that we can kind of break it open, that we can kind of understand it, right? There's a lot of ways to interpret different stories. And this story has been interpreted, that idea of Joseph wanting to divorce Mary, it's been interpreted throughout the, center, throughout the centuries. And there's two real camps that people kind of fall into, two theories that people kind of ascribe to for the idea of why he would want to divorce her. The first one is probably the one that most of us would think about immediately, there's a suspicion theory, let's call it. The suspicion theory is, Mary's pregnant. She probably committed adultery, cheated, something. Like, there's something that happened. So Joseph says, you know what? I'm going to divorce her. I don't want to cause her shame. I don't want to cause her issue. I don't want to cause her bodily harm or anything like that by the law. But I'm going to divorce her because I can't, I can't do that. Now, that's one, that's one theory. There's another theory that a bunch of saints have, have kind of brought up. Uh, some of the early church fathers, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, Origen, St. Jerome, like some of the hard hitters in the tr tradition of our church have come across this other theory that I think has a lot, has a lot more to do with why Joseph might, wanted, might have wanted to divorce Mary. It's read in, in light of the Old Testament. Now, Joseph, we hear, is Joseph's son of David. Joseph is in the line of King David. Now, if you're wondering, like, Joseph's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was King David. King David was one of the, the, the key rulers in all of Israel in the history of the Old Testament. That The Israelites, the Jewish people, knew King David. They exalted King David. They reverenced King David. And one of the reasons why they reverenced him as much as they did is because King David was the one who built the temple. He was the one, or he was the one that commissioned the temple. He was the one that made sure that the Ark of the Covenant, right, the presence of God, was able to have a proper place in the Jewish tradition. 
But when he first saw the Ark of the Covenant, when he first saw basically the box that held the presence of God within it, King David said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I can't be in this presence. For him, there was, a, there was a recognition of himself, of his sinfulness, of his limitedness, that kept him from wanting to receive the Ark of the Covenant, wanting him to be in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant, because he wasn't perfect. Now we fast forward from King David to Joseph. The new theory, the second theory, is known as the reverence theory. And that just like how King David, when he saw the ark coming into Jerusalem, kind of pulled himself back, kind of recognized his limitedness, was in reverence of it, so he wanted to remove himself. Joseph knows his scripture. Joseph knows the prophecy of Isaiah. He knows the story of King David. He knows his history. So when he sees Mary, the one holding the presence of God, no longer as manna or uh, the tablets or a staff like in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, but when he sees Mary holding the presence of God as a person within her, he does like his great to the tenth power grandfather. I'm, I'm sinful. I'm limited. I can't be the dad of the holy family. Let me divorce her. Let me walk away. I'm afraid. Notice the command of the angel. Fear not to take Mary in your home. It's not a suspicion. It's a reverence for the presence of God coming to Joseph. All right, Father, that's, that's beautiful. That's great. Old Testament, New Testament, they feed, they, they feed into one another. Uh, hundreds of years separating David and Joseph, and they kind of did the same thing. That's awesome. What on earth does that have to do with us in Raceland in 2019? I think it has a lot to do with us. I think what happens a lot of times in our life is that sometimes we disqualify ourselves before God. God chose Joseph. It wasn't an accident. God didn't just haphazardly say, oh, this guy, yeah, that's going to be good enough. He chose Joseph for a task, for a mission. He chose him out of the rest of the people of the Near East. He chose, a he chose him to be the father figure of Jesus on earth. And Joseph wanted to disqualify himself. I, I, I can't do that. I'm limited. I'm, I'm, I got sin. I'm afraid. How am I supposed to build a place for Mary, the new Ark of the Covenant, for Jesus, the presence of God made flesh? How am I supposed to build a place for them to be received into my home? I think we do the same thing a lot of times before our God. I think a lot of times before God, we may find every excuse to why we can't be a better follower of him. I'm limited. 
I'm sinful. I'm afraid. I think what happens a lot of time for us is that whenever it comes to receiving Jesus into our life, when making him the Lord of our life, where we would have to actually change something about our life. I love you, God, but I don't know how much. See, Joseph, whenever he, as a young man, he only had to care about himself. But any man knows that whenever you get married, all of a sudden, there's a big difference between just being a man and being a husband. But it changes life. It changes the priorities of life. It changes the way in which I live, what I do, how I speak, how I present myself to the world. It changes something about us. I had a wedding. Uh, I did a wedding recently. And the husband, whenever he came to meet me, it was really funny because uh, good old boy, hard worker, big beard, kind of shaggy hair, you know, kind of looked like Doug Dynasty walking around a little bit. When I showed up for the wedding, I didn't recognize him. Cleaned up really nicely. And there was something about it that I could see. I was like, because he's going to be a married man, he doesn't just stand for himself anymore. He stands for someone else as well. If you're a parent, you know. There's a big difference between being husband or wife or, or for yourself or living for my own sake and living for a kid. <laughs> a child calls, a, calls the dad or the mom out of us. Joseph goes through both of these experiences. That Mary is betrothed to him and the son of God is calling the man, the dad, out of him. Accepting the presence of God into his life meant that Joseph had to change something. Three days' time, we'll be accepting the presence of God into our life at Christmas. In three days' time, we're going to be accepting the presence of God, a gift from God, the divine Messiah, the Son of God made flesh, into our life at Christmas. Will he change something? Will something be different on December 26th? Are we ready to accept him? Are we ready to be called to task? Are we ready to have the, the man or the woman God is calling us to be, to be drawn out of us? Are we ready to be sent out into the world to be the man or woman, the Christian that God is calling us to be? Are we, are, we, are we ready to face the sin, the empty wells that we can continue to go to to be the man or woman, the saint God is calling us to be? It happens in three days. Three days, Jesus comes. Three, day, three days, Jesus wants to change completely the orientation of your life and of mine. It also happens in a little while on this altar. Because every time we come to Mass, the divine presence of God, the Word made flesh, the Messiah, the, the divine made man, comes to each one of us in the sacraments. In the same way that Christmas is supposed to change to draw the Christian or the saint out of us, it happens at every Mass. That God calls the man or woman 
you are supposed to be out of you. Is our experience, does our receiving of Jesus change us? The best part is that it doesn't matter if our life looks like a Hallmark movie. The best part is it doesn't matter if the pajamas aren't, aren't perfect or, the, or the, the mug is chipped or if we don't have Facebook at all. It doesn't matter the externals look like because the divine reality is so much greater than the expectation or, the sh- or, 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 or a shallow recognition or a shallow kind of front that we put up to the world around us. God wants to not meet us in some kind of sentimental way. He wants to meet us in reality right where we are. Are we ready to be changed by his presence? in our life. Amen.